Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. God wants to reconcile. He wants to make things right in our lives. He wants the church of Jesus Christ to represent what it looks like to live in forgiveness. But here's the thing. You won't ever experience the need to forgive unless you're hurt, unless some mistake or sin was made. And that's where the church does get messy, even from the pastor. It gets messy. And I'm grateful for the grace of God that I don't need to follow a goat to Kansas to remember that I'm forgiven. I can just look to the cross. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. At various times in our lives, we're going to need help. And as believers, we can go straight to Jesus, our great high priest, who will help us in our hour of need. As we'll learn today on Abounding Grace, he is far greater than Aaron or any other priest. Pastor Ed Taylor will open Hebrews chapter 5 and Leviticus 16. Get ready to receive a brilliant picture of Jesus Christ. As the high priest entered, that miraculous substitutionary sacrifice and forgiveness would flow. Today, the Jewish people celebrate the Day of Atonement, and it's also known as Yom Kippur. The only problem is, is that they're unable to celebrate it in the way that the Bible prescribes for one significant reason. There is no temple. There's no temple there today. And so instead of offering a blood sacrifice, they have turned Yom Kippur, many of them have today, turned it into a day of measuring my good and bad, like a day of good deeds. And now how they offer themselves to God is they kind of measure their life and say, well, you know, I did a little bit more than good than I did bad this year. So God, I know you accept that because I'm a good person. But there's no bloodshed. And so today, the Jewish people, that the Bible says their eyes are still blinded, those that haven't received Messiah as their Savior, they live in such a way where they might use this day to go to a synagogue. Uh, Not unlike, you know, people today where they they may find themselves in church only on Christmas and Easter. Well, in in Israel, it's the same, except it's the synagogue on Yom Kippur. There's no sacrifice, no bloody hands, not even a looking to the coming of Messiah. It's a very secular celebration. And there are always those that take advantage of that where they'll be walking around and you can buy these little red cords and they'll put them on your wrist and you throw a couple shekels in their can and that becomes your good deed of the day. And you can offer up how many good deeds you've done and completely miss the point that in order for your sins to be forgiven, somebody's got to die. Messiah. So notice in verse 15, then he shall kill the goat. So now that the bull's been offered, he'll kill the goat of the sin offering which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat, so that he shall make atonement, verse 16, for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions, and for all their sins. And he shall do to the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement or the holy place. He can only go in alone. 
until he comes out, that he might make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all of the congregation of Israel. It's amazing. In the Old Covenant, only the high priest can go in. But now we learn, because Jesus is a greater high priest, that you and I can come right into the throne room of grace to find help in time of need today. He's so much greater, so much more wonderful. But for the high priest here, only he could go in. And he would go in very carefully and very precisely. Verse 18, And he shall go out to the altar before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood in the bull and some of the blood of the goat, and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with the finger seven times, cleanse it, sanctify it from all uncleanness of the children of Israel. And so he would be confessing and laying his hands uh, with the blood of the bull and the goat now and even set aside all of the implements of worship that they might all be recognized as used for God alone to set apart, to sanctify. Now notice verse 20. When he had made an end of atonement for the holy place, the tabernacle of the meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And don't you think by now the live goat is just like feeling relieved? A little worried, but relieved. You know, goats have the weirdest eyes. Have you noticed? They have the weirdest eyes. And can you imagine these two goats coming up and they're just kind of figuring things out and, and they cast lots and they say, oh, you're the ones being sacrificed and then you're the one that's going to make it. And their eyes just go, oh, man. The other's like, this is a crazy time. And so now the one that was sacrificed already, they bring the second goat. And who knows what he's thinking. He might go, man, I hope they don't do to me what they did to my brother. But that's, he's walking up and he comes and notice. It says, Aaron shall lay, verse 21, both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. And the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. This is amazing. This is so powerful. That now this goat that's alive would be brought to the priest, and his bloody hands would be on with fresh blood on his head, and he would confess, notice what it says, all the iniquities, all of the transgressions, and concerning all their sins. Now I believe this is an indication that the priest is actually rehearsing specific sins, I don't believe it's a a ceremony where it's just a few seconds. God, we put all the sins of the children of Israel on there. But rather, I believe that there is a list of sins that he is laying on the goat. Adultery, lying, gossip, and on and on. Whatever it was in the company that year that the priest would deal with and they'd minister to. He would have his hands on that goat. And then they would take the goat and give, find a suitable man. Because the suitable man would then take that goat and walk away with it, leading it away to send it off into the wilderness. So what it would look like right here, you know, we'd find a suit, we'd have the goat here, lay hands on it, find a suitable man, and we'd ask you to walk east, and you would take off east, and you'd pass Watkins, and you'd pass Bennett, and you'd go all the way, and you're headed toward Lyman. You're gonna pass Lyman, because we want you to let him go in Kansas and get lost in a cornfield somewhere, that you would never see that goat again. Consider the imagery that every year the children of Israel would see. You would watch that goat, because... The high priest was confessing your sin. And the sins would be laid on the head of that goat. And the goat would be given to that suitable man and he would walk away and you would watch in a very visible way the sins of your life in this past year walk away with him. And then you'd see the man stop somewhere in the distance 
and he'd untie the goat and he would shush him and get him going and you'd see the goat running away for its life, scared to death, I'm sure. And just running, running, running until you didn't see it anymore. It's a powerful illustration because it really gives a great insight to the greater forgiveness that you and I enjoy in Jesus Christ through the new covenant because remember what Isaiah said? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So we, would, we don't have the opportunity today to every year we'd say, okay, bring the goats and one we're going to offer up and one we're going to send away. We don't have that today because instead of looking to the goat that's being released, the scapegoat, and now you can see how different it is how the world messed it up. Because when the, word, the phrase scapegoat's used today, it's kind of used as somebody's going to you know, take, the, take the blame for everything and take the fall. But see, the goat, this goat didn't take the fall. It was released. It actually got out better. It got out better than his brother that got sacrificed. You see, the scapegoat is a type and a picture of Jesus Christ, who as you watch him on the cross with his arms outstretched and his face destroyed and his body just mangled and bloody with dry when you see all the congealed and you see him there you go oh oh it's no good it's over there's no hope and then you see them take him down and they put him into a into a tomb and they seal it up and you walk away like the two men on the road to Emmaus and say oh it's over I don't know what we're going to do with our lives now all of our hopes are are gone and buried and sealed and the scapegoat not only reminds us of the forgiveness of sins But the scapegoat also reminds us of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That things are better than they look today. They are better than what you see today. They are better than what you think today if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Because death always leads to resurrection in Jesus. And as you watch the scapegoat run away with your sin of adultery, with your sin of lying, with your sin, you don't nick to the goat anymore. You look to the cross. And as far as the east is from the west, God has removed your sin from you and me by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is serious stuff here. As the Hebrews were reading this letter, this is what was in their minds. This is what they would remember. This was what they were raised on. And you see, they want to leave the sufficiency of forgiveness in Jesus and go backwards. And we're going to learn as we continue to study in Hebrews that Jesus is a far greater high priest than Aaron or any of his relatives ever were and ever will be. It's so encouraging as our sins have been removed from us. You know, when we ask for forgiveness as believers, it's different. Because the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is not giving you a new outpouring of forgiveness. He's forgiving you your sin, past, present, and future. But why do we confess our sins as believers if we've already been forgiven by Jesus Christ? And I'll tell you why. Not only, number one, because the Bible tells you to in 1 John 1, 9, but number two, when you confess your sins as a believer, you don't get a fresh outpouring of forgiveness. You simply tap into the forgiveness that's already yours, and what confession does for the believer is bring back the enjoyment of your relationship with God, where you're able then to rejoice His love and His forgiveness, because anyone here that has ever lived As a believer in some backslidden, some unconfessed sin situation, you can tell us you would be able to come up and share your testimony of how dark and hard your life was as you chose to live that way. Oh, God still loved you, but like a cloud, 
you know, when the sun's beating, you know, when it's cloudy outside, you could easily be deceived in thinking the sun doesn't exist anymore. But, you know, the clouds are just covering the sun. <laughs> the sun's already there. It's always there. The clouds are just covering your ability to see it and enjoy it. That's why in Jude, it speaks of keeping ourselves in the love of God. And confession is part of keep yourselves. It's not that God stops loving you, but keep in a place where you can enjoy the love of God. And today, we're reminded that there was much involved, including the scapegoat. And you just think, oh, what a beautiful picture of my sin running away. I'm not running after sin anymore. It's running away from me. And I can live a life that pleases God and honors Him. And I can worship Him the way He desires. So much more available to us in Jesus. Well, the rest of the chapter from verses 16, or verses 23 through 28, is how to clean up. So notice it says, Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting and take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place, and he shall leave them there, and he shall wash his body with water in a holy place, put on his garments, come out, and offer his burnt offering in the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people that the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he can come into the camp. Verse 27. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes, bathe his body in water, and afterward he can come into the camp. And so there was a need to cleanse. It was a very messy, bloody thing, this day of atonement. Which one more thing I, f- I forgot to mention. I want to come back to the scapegoat because very specifically it says that he confessed those sins. And we were mentioning how they were not just like a general sense, but also a specific sense. And I want to bring that home to you for a second because this is one of the things that we learned as I was raising my kids. And so I've raised all three of my kids into adulthood. And so walk, walking through when they were kids as believers, we taught them that when they confess their sin, that they should be very precise and specific when they do that. And so we didn't allow this in our home. Uh, we didn't allow it. We didn't allow, you know, if my, kid, my boys were fighting in the other room and you're just hearing boom and they're hitting their heads against the wall and boom, boom, and finally it ends with, oh, you kicked me in the head. So we would run over there and go, wait, man, what's going on, guys? What are you doing? Oh, you know, just having fun. And, uh, oh, you kicked me in the head. Okay, 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 well, sit down and you guys need to make it right. One thing we wouldn't allow is, we wouldn't allow them to sit down and say, well, you know what, I'm sorry for something, maybe whatever I did, maybe might have hurt you sometime in the past. We wouldn't let them do that. Have you ever received an apology like that, by the way? Where you're trying to reconcile with someone and they come and go, you know, I'm sorry if maybe ever once time in the whole life I ever did something to hurt you. It's kind of your fault you got hurt, but I'm sorry. How did that make you feel? We didn't allow that in our home. Instead, we taught our kids and prayerfully, we will do the same because we're God's kids, right? That we'll look them in the eye and we taught. Let's say, you know, that Josh was kicking, Josh, he kicked Eddie in the head, right? Kicked him in the teeth. So this is what we'd say. We'd say, this is how you apologize. This is how you make it right. You look your brother in the eye and you say, will you forgive me for kicking you in the teeth? That's what we'd tell him to do. Because when you do that, number one, you are taking responsibility specifically for your actions, and so let's say you have an issue with the body, some, a brother or sister, and you said something bad about them. You go to them and you look them in the eye and say, will you please forgive me for gossiping about you? And give them the chance to forgive you for that specific. It's, I mean, coming to someone and go, you know, I'm sorry, maybe I did. 
you may have good intents because sometimes you'll follow up and go, well, you know, the apology is, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way. Okay, that's a different discussion. And that's a valid discussion. We can talk about that later, what you meant or didn't mean. But the reality is, is you said it, you meant it in the moment, and it hurt the person. So let's deal with that first, and then we can talk about the motives. We can talk about in a relationship what you really meant. and That's how the family of God should operate, that we confess our specific sins to one another, especially when we've sinned against one another. Will you forgive me? If you add that to your vocabulary, you will find so many more relationships restored and healed. It's amazing. It is amazing how God works. It's amazing. Because this Bible study and whether I'm here and what time I'm going to teach it was today. So wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? That sitting in the front row today was somebody I personally offended. Personally. I know when I did it. I know what I said. And I tried to reach out to them by email, but I have a bad email, so it got bounced back. And it's been heavy on my heart for a few weeks now. And wouldn't you know it? The brother sitting in the front row, and I'm teaching how to reconcile a situation. So you know what I did after service? I walked out right back those doors and ran to my office. No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. <laughs> I came down off the stage. I stopped by him and I said, "Hey, brother, it's good to see you here today. And you haven't been here in a while. I want I want to talk to you before you leave." And he says, "Okay." And I was able to come up to him, look him in the eye, and say, "Will you forgive me?" And I shared what I did because he knows exactly what I did. And you know what his response was? Just like that, forgive you. And you know what? I too handled that conversation wrong. And boom, it was just kumbaya crying on you. No, we didn't do that, but it was great. It's very easy. I wonder what God's doing in your life. I wonder if you just be open and sensitive to the Holy Spirit and immediately obey how much freedom the Lord will give you. I can't tell you. I mean, it's, it's one episode, but I can't tell you how good I feel now that that's one less thing in my life. And it was my fault. I did it. I, I, shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have answered his question that way. Because, you know, sometimes you guys wake up with days like that. Do you wake up like days like that? Are there some days people, you know, you say the wrong thing? Yes? No? Because all of you are like, oh, well, man, if we have a pastor like that, honey, we got to find another church, you know, because like, like we all do that. It was, it, was just a, it was a bad day. It was bad timing. It would have been better for me just to, just to say nothing. But see, God wants to reconcile. He wants to make things right in our lives. He wants the church of Jesus Christ to represent what it looks like to live in forgiveness. But here's the thing. You won't ever experience the need to forgive unless you're hurt, unless some mistake or sin was made. And that's where the church does get messy, even from the pastor. It gets messy. And I'm grateful for the grace of God that I don't need to follow a goat to Kansas to remember that I'm forgiven. I can just look to the cross and know that he's faithful to forgive me of all of my sins. Well, in verse 29, it says, this shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the 10th day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or stranger who sojourns among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you and you shall afflict your souls. It's a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen cloths and the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar. He shall make atonement for the priests and all the people of the congregation. 
And this shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. And so this would be the 10th day of the seventh month. On the first day of the seventh month, the trumpets were blown to announce the beginning of a new year, Rosh Hashanah. On the 10th day then was the day of atonement. And then right after the day of atonement came the Feast of Tabernacles or of Booths, which started on the 15th day of the month and lasted for a week. So we've studied all this in depth. Uh, throughout Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We studied it all verse by verse. Uh, those studies are all up on the website and they're available to you. But for those of you now that have never studied verse by verse through a chapter in Leviticus, congratulations, you made it through. And it's good stuff, isn't there? Now, next time when you start reading the Bible through a year, you know, you start off in Genesis, oh, no problem. Exodus, oh, no problem. Leviticus, big problem. And you just close up and go, I'll never understand. I just believe God wants, he he wants to remind us. Some of you have a problem reading some of the Bible because you read with this attitude of having to understand everything. And when you start to not understand things, it frustrates you because you just want to understand everything. I've been studying the Bible for 20, almost 28 years. And I learn something just about every day. And so you read the Bible not about understanding every word and every, although you can study it for sure, but turn your approach to not reading the Bible for like specific understanding and knowledge, but for understanding who God is and his love for you. We're enjoying a study in Hebrews here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher on the program, and you can hear these studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and also through the Calvary Church app. Pastor Ed, some of us grew up in a church where we were taught it was necessary to go to a priest to confess our sins. But is that really necessary in light of what we're reading here in Hebrews? You're right. It's not necessary at all. Um, That is a man-made teaching that is not biblical at all. The whole idea of confession, uh, especially within Roman Catholicism, is not a biblical idea. It is a man-made religious idea you can go directly to God through Christ. And while involving a friend or a pastor to come alongside of you and help encourage you, the confession of sin, the forgiveness of sin comes from God. And I know it might be hard to change your thinking about this, and the good news is God is very patient with you. But you're right, Larry. It is not only unnecessary, but it's wrong, the pra- this practice of confession and the confessional. Uh, confession goes to God, and, and maybe you've sinned against someone, you can confess to them, but the whole religious system that says you can only go to the priest and then they'll give you some Hail Marys and some other things to do, not true, not true. And I would encourage you, if you are... Uh, in Roman Catholicism, or you are, you know, have family members and you want to study more on this, you know, just to to take what you believe and match it from the scriptures, I would encourage you to pick up this resource. It's called Reasoning from the Scriptures with Catholics. Reasoning from the Scriptures with Catholics. And it takes you on a journey comparing common beliefs with what the Bible says. And I know that you love the Bible, and I know you read the Bible, so it could be you're right at that step to take, to step into and to take the next step in comparing what you believe with the Bible, not not tradition, 
And and I would even encourage you, not my tradition, not the church's tradition in that sense, but rather what does the Bible say? And I believe you'll be shocked. Uh, and Ron Rhodes does such a great job walking along that. And it, whatever you find on your journey, email me. I'd love to hear it. You can email me directly at ed at edtaylor.org. Ed at edtaylor.org. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. Thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you Skip Heitzig's book, How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It. Maybe you're not getting a lot out of your time in the Word these days, or you're unsure how to go about it. Allow Pastor Skip to help you through this wonderful book. To order it today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. If you'd just like to make a donation to the ministry and not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We look forward to continuing the journey through Hebrews next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In the meantime, let's be drawing on God's abounding grace for daily living. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. 